So we are in uh, uh, the closing weeks of our study in Proverbs. We're actually going to do this week, and then next week we're going to do uh, a, uh, a look at uh, one of the predominant themes in Proverbs, which is temptation and a father speaking to a son of all the different pitfalls that he could fall into in life. Uh, and then we're going to do a closing week, uh, Palm Sunday, we're going to do a closing week where uh, at times we've done um, my, uh, kind of testimony services uh, and able to just give testimony of what God is doing. But what we're hoping to do this time is to close our Proverbs series that our testimonies would be from the Word. Uh, not that you couldn't share like, hey, God's really shown himself in this aspect in our family's life, but has God impacted you from his word, the book of Proverbs? It would be awesome just to hear God by his spirit and how he used his word in us. Uh, so on March 28th, that's the week we actually come back together. We're all here at one time. Uh, and uh, that we're just going to be sharing testimonies of how God challenged us or used his word in our lives. So be thinking of that over the next couple, uh, couple weeks because it would be great to hear just how God, by his spirit, has used the book of Proverbs uh, in us. So, uh, so we're going to be uh, closing that series that week. Uh, and, uh, but remember, we've been looking at Proverbs as a, a look at the wisdom of God, as it is embedded in creation. The wisdom of God shows up in the way that the world is made. We're going to see some of that later in this topic. We've looked at different character sketches, the fool, the naive, the mocker. We've looked at uh, different, uh, different topics, our speech. Uh, we've looked, uh, and, and today we're going to look, uh, or we looked at family last week, parenting, marriage, and today we're going to look at finances. And so this is one of those like, ooh, He's really going to meddle today, uh, and believe me, uh, I'm not, <laughs> uh, but God is going to meddle with us today, and, uh, and I say us because I'm right there with you. So what are the, what's the Proverbs, what are Proverbs for our finances? So we're going to be all over. Um, I'm actually going to go in order this time through the book, so if you want to flip, uh, you're not going back and forth, uh, but we are going to jump through different passages. So why don't you stand with me just out of reverence for the Word of God. Uh, God speaks, and we long to hear from Him. We're going to begin in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Then flip to chapter 10, verse 22. You could say this might be a summary uh, of wealth as it's from the hand of God. Uh, Proverbs 10, 22, The blessing of the Lord makes rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. Then go to next chapter, chapter 11, verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Stay in 11, go to verse 28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green Leaf. Go a few chapters later to chapter 15, verse 16. Better is a little 
meaning uh, a little bit, uh, with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Next verse. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Let's go down to 21, verse 17. That whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. And then go to Proverbs 30. A, uh, this has been said, it's the only prayer in the book of Proverbs, is this prayer. Proverbs 30, verse 7. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest or else I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So a pretty decent summary of the book of Proverbs on some of the things it has to say. Let's pray. Just ask God to be in our midst. God, speak to us from your word. God, challenge us. Uh, this is just one of those topics that just hits home and exposes all sorts of things. But at t uh, if we're honest, God, we really don't want to hear it. Um, yeah, so, Father, by your spirit, soften our hearts. Give us ears to hear. Uh, give us eyes to see. Father, I pray that you would set your word up uh, as a mirror to us, that we would see ourselves rightly, and that, God, in that, uh, we might uh, see your grace and our need for it. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So if I asked you the question, do you want more or less money? What would you say? <laughs> right, okay. Uh, there would, it, it, we'd all want more, right? Would your life be better with more money? That's a different question. Most people would still say yes, because it seems like most of our life is set up trying to gain more and more. Uh, you know, money seems to allow us to buy all sorts of things, uh, really interesting things in this world, you know? If you just want to jump to the head of the line at Universal Studios, just add $89 to your ticket, and you don't have to wait. Uh, you know, money buys you stuff. Uh, if you end up in prison— uh, and you are a nonviolent offender, and you would like uh, maybe a quiet cell for the night, only $100 a night will get you a cell, an upgraded cell, with other people that would pay for their stay in prison. Didn't see that one coming, but uh, money buys you stuff. Um, if you are in need of a surrogate mother in India, a surrogate mother, um, uh, someone to carry a baby for you. Fifteen to twenty thousand dollars will get you a surrogate in India. Uh, if you want to go shoot in a critically endangered animal, a black rhino, maybe about a quarter mil, you know, that'll buy you the right to shoot an endangered animal. <laughs> really? Uh, it's interesting. Money. Get, money obviously uh, gets us our needs and necessities, but it also gets you some other very interesting places in this world. But is it good? 
is it good to have money to be able to upgrade your jail stay or shoot a critically endangered animal? Uh, the Boston Globe recorded, reported a few years ago, they were asking, does money change us? Does it change how we live? Does it change the, what we do in life? And, and they, they were citing just mounting evidence, and it's gotten no different in these past years, that wealth actually can change how we think and how we behave. Uh, but oftentimes not for the better. Uh, actually, typically not for the better. That rich people have a harder time connecting with others. Uh, they show less empathy uh, to the extent of even dehumanizing uh, those who are different from them. They're less charitable, less, ge- less generous. They're less likely to help somebody in trouble. And it goes on and on and on. One study coming out of the University of Minnesota said that even without having money, if you, it's a, a, a term called priming, if you uh, just merely suggest that someone gets more money, they don't even have it in their hand, they become less friendly, less sensitive to others, and more likely to support statements like, some groups of people are simply inferior to others. Just the idea of getting more money makes us, or makes, has that tendency to bring out those behaviors. But even with that, would you still want more? I think we would all say yes. Because you're like, well, that's not me. Um, you know, I wouldn't do that. You know, we, we all seem like uh, whatever we have, we only want a little bit more. One satirical sh- uh, TV show uh, from years back, the main character was an employee of a company, and he's talking to the owner, and the employee says, you're the richest guy I know, to which the boss said, oh yes, but I will trade it all for a little more. Yeah, anyway. Um, and so in all of that, is wealth good? Is money good? It sounds like there's all sorts of pitfalls, but is it good? Well, remember, Proverbs 10, 22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich. And that's not just like you're rich in spirit. That is, uh, the blessing of the Lord makes rich. And I love that next phrase, and he adds no sorrow with it. Because we're going to see in a second the ways that, that we tend to go after wealth. And oftentimes, when we go after wealth in ways that are not God's design, we might get it, but what, there is definitely sorrow. There's definitely second-guessing. There's, there's not a peace with it. But when God gives it, he gives money, he gives wealth, he gives provision, and there's no sorrow that comes with it because it is from the hand of God. So even with all those difficult pitfalls, money, wealth, is a good thing that God gives to people. So let's dive in. Let's look at the negative first. Let's look at all those pitfalls, or at least the ones that the book of Proverbs starts to talk about. The entrapment of money right? Uh, the snare, the, 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 the ways that we get caught up in it. And we're going to look at three different aspects of the entrapment, okay? We're going to look at uh, the idea of, of how do we get entrapped um, as we get it, okay? As we get it, or then we're going to look at when we have it, and then we're going to look at how we use it. So uh, basically how we go after it, 
What do we do when we have it? And then how are we going to use it? All of those are unique traps that money presents for us, okay? And so let's look at the first one, as we get it, okay? So uh, basically the entrapment of money is that we would pursue it in ways that are completely outside of the will of God, that we're going to gain money, we're going to gain wealth, we're going to go after it in ways that, uh, all sorts of ways, lying, deceit, wickedness, unfair dealings, whatever we need to do to get it, we're going to do it because having money is better than not. It doesn't matter what we have to do to get it. That's kind of the kind of semi the natural move of the human heart. So Proverbs 10 starts to unpack this. Proverbs 10 verse 2, uh, we didn't read this earlier, uh, so this has given us some details, that treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Basically, if you go after treasure and uh, you're doing it in all ways that are against everything that God lays out in the way that his people should live, there's no profit in it even though you have more treasure. goes on in verse 3. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. So the wicked is the one, go back to the verse, the wicked is the one who is going to go after treasure in any way possible, but yet the Lord is going to thwart their craving. So if you go after treasure in a way that's outside of the will of God, you might get more stuff but you will never get satisfied. Isn't that interesting? There's no satisfaction in going after something outside of the will of God because God is going to frustrate the tar out of you by his grace. Because wouldn't it be the worst thing in the world that we do things through wickedness, deceit, lying, we get treasure and it actually satisfies our soul? Wouldn't that be like the worst thing going? is that we find something that satisfies us that is outside of the will of God, and so the Lord will thwart our cravings. goes on in verse 4. A slack hand, that's the lazy person. We looked at that before. The, The slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And so there's a natural order to the way God in his wisdom set up this world. That as we get it, if we pursue things through wickedness, we might gain treasure, but there's no profit there. There's no satisfaction. Our, our cravings actually are multiplied. But there is a natural way to go after wealth, and that is through diligent effort and work. And that's the natural order of how this world works because it's embedded, the wisdom of God is embedded in this world. And so, but, but also, what, what also are we tempted to do Uh, is in that lying deceit wickedness well this is god's take on it not that he's only going to thwart your cravings um, or the the satisfaction unequal weights are an abomination to the lord and false scales are not good and so 
in an agrarian culture, you would trade the amount of grain or the amount of, uh, you know, uh, you know, barley or any any kind of uh, food source. You would trade that based on weight. And so, if I'm a if I'm a dishonest dealer and I I can trick the scale in some way, you're going to give me more money, and I'm going to give you less grain. And so, God says that is an abomination to to Him false scales. It's that wickedness and the wicked dealings. It's basically trying to get more by your own, uh, by your own devices outside of what God is going to provide. Isn't it great that he said he will not let the righteous, he will not let his people go hungry. So First Timothy, uh, Paul comments on this as he's writing to his young uh, apprentice in pastoral ministry. He's speaking to Timothy about the idea of money, and this passage is just loaded. Uh, we don't have time. We could, we could spend a lot of time on these verses, but just to give you another uh, reference from the scriptures, 1 Timothy 6, uh, Paul says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we uh, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Basically saying, we have enough, we're good. Thank you, God, for food and for clothes, we're off and running. But he goes on, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, which is a trap for an animal, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. There is, there is something in the human heart you know, that the chasing of provision, the chasing of money is going to lead us potentially to all sorts of senseless and harmful desires that lead to our destruction. So the entrapment of money is gained, when it's gained through all sorts of means, but uh, is a trap there. But also, get-rich-quick schemes, okay? Uh, and not the, the scheme itself, but the heart behind the scheme is what the writer of Proverbs is speaking to. Uh, you know, as we get it uh, and go after it, Proverbs thirteen eleven: wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So it's interesting because it sounds like, hey, you know, if you hit it big, is there anything wrong with that? The answer is no, uh, because God is going to, God can provide incrementally and God can provide all at once. But what happens to the human heart when it all comes at once? It's not just a windfall and like, hey, I got a ton of money now. Why is it that uh, according to the National Endowment for Financial Education, that 70% of people who win a lottery or a large windfall go bankrupt within a few years. That's staggering. 70%. First round draft picks um, in the NBA and the NFL. Um, uh, ESPN ran an episode on 30 for 30, which is a documentary series called, entitled Broke. 
okay? The plight of many of these athletes, they get paid millions upon millions of dollars. Uh, and by the time they've re been retired for two years out of the league, 78% of former NFL players have gone bankrupt or are under severe financial stress. Within five years of retirement, 60% of NBA players are in the same place. How? They make more money than, you know, like our whole, whole church put together. How could they be broke? There's something to the wisdom of God embedded in creation. Wealth gained hastily. Wealth gained overnight without learning how to use money, learning how to check our heart when it comes to wealth. Uh, is a dangerous thing, even though every one of us would take it. It's interesting. But God says, the one who gathers little by little will increase. So there's a danger, an entrapment of how we get it. Then we look at, all right, so then we got it, right? So uh, let, let's, say, let's say we get it according to the will of God. God is the one who provides for us hard work, uh, education, going after it, you plant, you sow, do all those different things. What, what's the entrapment when we have it? Okay, well, two things. Pride and then a false sense of security. So let's look at pride. Proverbs 28, 11, A rich man is wise in his own eyes. And a poor man who has understanding will find him out. Interesting that a rich man is wise in his own eyes. Why? Because wealth somehow affords something in our thinking that we're like, hey, we're kind of untouchable. You know, look what I did. Uh, but consider all of the wealth in this room. Every single one of us, by, if you acquired it by, your, by the skill or gifting that you have, where did that come from? It's from the hand of God. And then we're like, well, you know, I, I'm a hard worker and all these things. The wealth in this room probably has more to do that you were born in the United States, or at least live here now, than anything else. If we were displace all of these people and put us in a third world country, would we have this amount of wealth? Probably not. Actually, no chance. You know, God placed us here. There is a... There is a um, a natural move of God to, to place his people where he places them. But it's interesting, when we have a bunch, we take pride in that. But most of the wealth here is because you were born in the right place, more than you are really, really highly skilled. Though, you all are really, really highly skilled. <laughs> I'm looking around like, wow, it's an impressive room. But it's interesting, there are really, really highly skilled people in third world countries, and they can hardly put food on their table. So when we find ourselves feeling really good about ourselves, pridefully arrogant, looking down on other people, which we read that earlier, uh, it's when we have wealth, there's something in our heart that wells up that puts this sense of pride uh, in in our minds and in our hearts. It's a danger. It's a trap. Uh, pride. But also the false sense of security. So this is repeated multiple times through the book. So Proverbs 11. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from earth. Basically, when you stand before the holy and righteous God, and he is, he is the judge for all eternity, 
will how much you have in your bank account matter at all? Not a bit. You know, riches don't profit you at all when you stand alone before the righteous judge of all things. What are you trusting in? What do you trust? Righteousness delivers from death. Riches actually do not matter for eternity. And so, but, but the pride and the things we trust in, it kind of creates this false sense of security. 11 verse 4. But then we go to 1128. Uh, and there's two ways that the book says this. Uh, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So we have a bunch of wealth, we have money, we start to trust in it. Like, we rely on it. It makes us feel secure. It helps us be more confident in life. And yet, it can be swept away in a moment. You know, 2008, 2009, a lot of people felt that. And it can be swept away in a moment. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall But then here's an interesting city, or interesting picture of of a city and how somebody with wealth views views their wealth. Proverbs 18.11, this is a great image. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. So remember, cities in the ancient day, they could get attacked at a moment's notice, and so they built walls around the city. And if you lived in the rural communities, you were kind of poor because you couldn't afford to live in the city or in the protection of the wall. And so if you actually lived in the city, you were, you know, you were hot stuff. And so a rich man's wealth is his fortified wall, basically. But yet, how does it comment? Like a high wall in his imagination. It's a false sense of security. It's something he feels that that brings security, but yet it is something very much made up. It it, it makes us feel this sense of security when it's not there. makes us feel a little bit untouchable. So when we have it, the entrapment is that it leads to pride or a false sense of security. But then what's the other part of the trap is how we use it. So First one was as we get it. Second one uh, is when we have it. Third one is how we use it. And this one is not all that earth-shattering because how can you misuse money? (laughs) There's a number of ways, but the Proverbs uh, speak to kind of one main aspect, and that is basically how you use it is for your own consumption and for your own pleasure. You got resources, now go live it up. Proverbs 21, 17, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man, and he who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Basically, because the next verse in verse 20 of that same chapter, precious treasure and oil are a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it, meaning that a foolish man eats all of his wealth or consumes, excuse me, all of his wealth on his pleasures. And so the entrapment of wealth is how we use it. So put all of those things together and just ask. Uh, you could ask yourself or you could ask God to reveal to you by the Spirit. Are you trapped in any of those ways? Do, do any of those things trip you up in any way as you go after it, when you have it, or how you use it? Are any things like, ooh, warning sign going off, caution flag, Anything going off 
It's there that you need God by his grace to enter in. It's not shame. Again, the book of Proverbs is a mirror to us. And when we see us falling short, then we run to the one who heals. And so that's where we move into the blessing of money. Because that sounds like a really bad picture. Like, I'm going to sell everything and just give it all away and live on the street. Uh, But that's not what the book of Proverbs is saying to go do. What is the blessing of money? So there is the sense of there is an entrapment, but what's the blessing? Okay, Uh, and again, we're going to go back to this verse. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. So there is a blessing in wealth. It's a tricky one, but it's a blessing in wealth. It's a good thing. Why? Because it's part of creation. And what does God say about creation? He calls it very good. The entrapment comes from the kind of broken way that creation now functions due to the fall, that it's kind of shattered in its, in its image. And, and so the very good creation is tainted by our sin, yet God, it, it's not that the things become bad, it's the way we use them becomes skewed. And so the blessing of money is that God knows that we need it. God knows we need it. So there's perspective there. So it's not that God is anti-money, anti-wealth, quite the opposite. He says it's good, and he's going to give it to us as we need it. And maybe even plus some. You think of Abraham. That joker was wealthy, right? He had a boatload of money or at least of cattle and livestock, and and in that day, what was the equivalent of wealth? You think of the kings, you think of David, you think of just the, the elaborate nature of the wealth of the nation of Israel. Wealth by itself is not a bad thing, and God is the one who who gives it. God knows that we need it in order to live, and we go back to that prayer of Proverbs 30, because this gives us a really interesting perspective. You know, I'm asking these things before I die. So remove far from me falsehood and lying. So take out the entrapment of trying to gain wealth by falsehood, by lying. Uh, But then this is an interesting verse or interesting phrase. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Why? Well, we, we, we recognize the difficult of poverty. Not that it itself is bad, but it's difficult, right? It's, it's a struggle through life. But he's also recognized the danger of wealth. And he's kind of saying, put me in the middle. Put me where, uh, you know, feed me with the food that is needful for me. What's beautiful in that is God knows you need it. Jesus even said it in the Sermon on the Mount when he was talking about money and, um, you know, seek first the kingdom of God. The verse right before that is because God knows you need all these other things. God knows you need them. Therefore, we can actually trust that he will provide for us. Because what's really wild is how does money make us forget God? That's the last part of that verse. You know, basically... Keep me kind of in the middle. Don't give me riches or else I'm going to be full and I'm going to deny you as Lord uh, or I'm going to be poor and I'm going to steal and profane the name of the Lord. Why does our wealth cause us to forget God? Because the natural human heart is prideful. We have a false sense of security. We feel like we made it. We don't even need God because we are doing just fine 
on our own. Jesus says it is more difficult for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because people that have wealth feel as if they have no need. And that is a staggering reality. To live in this world and get everything from the hand of God and then deny the one who has given you everything. But our hearts are deceitful above all things. And it seems like that is the, the air that we breathe. So God knows, uh, uh, God knows we need it. And then we can trust him in that. But then also God gives it as a good gift. And so in Proverbs, you've probably heard these different uh, phrases. Oftentimes there's a contrast, you know, like, uh, you know, don't do this thing, do this thing, you know, kind of, or, you know, one or the other. Then there's these, uh, th- this phrase, like the better than um, uh, statements. Uh, so verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble. What's he saying? It, it, it's, you would rather have not much, but know the Lord, than have a bunch and have all the trouble that comes with it. Or better is a, is a dinner of herbs. Uh, you know, they love their meat in the Old Testament. Better is a dinner of herbs, that was actually kind of like a poor man's meal, where love is, than a fattened ox with hatred. It, it, there's something to the, the good gift of God but yet, what is the real gift of God is knowing him and then understanding his provision under that. The fear of the Lord and trusting in his provision. It's a good gift. He knows we need it, but then we use it to honor him. So that's when we go back all the way back to Proverbs chapter 3. How are we using the wealth that God so graciously gives? That's the question. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So I'll tap the brakes on this verse a little bit. This is not the health and wealth gospel. If you do what you need to do, then God will provide for you and give you abundance. This is a proverb. This is not a promise. This is like train up a child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. Yet we see kids raised in the Lord uh, falling away. That there's a natural order to creation, but it is not a lock A plus B equals C. There's a preponderance of what God lays out. So in this one, honor the Lord with your wealth, with all the first fruits of your produce, And in a sense, let God provide what you need or let God provide into abundance. Because I know many faithful people that honor the Lord with their money that have just enough. Uh, But yet, the blessing of God follows faithfulness. Honor the Lord with your money. That God's priorities become our priorities. Kingdom priorities that we would do with our money what God is leading us to do. So there's a phrase called stewardship. You know, think of it in, in, the, in the idea of creation. God created this world, and he put Adam and Eve in the garden to do what? Take care of the garden. It wasn't theirs. It was God's. 
But God said, take care of my stuff for me. And that's what he does with us. He makes this beautiful creation. He gives us good gifts. And he says, now, manage my stuff. But manage it for my glory. That God gives it, we get to manage it. Here's the question. Do you know where your money's going? Now you're like, oh man, we got to talk budgets now? But most people, I would assume, don't know where your money's going. Because it's hard. It's hard to keep track of it. But where's it going? How much are you eating? Not just grocery bill, but eating out and all the different things. It's amazing. You can actually eat your whole budget away. Not because we like food, just because we haven't planned. Do we know what we're spending? And I'm, if you want to eat out every, go for it. Uh, but do you know where your money is going in order to use it for the glory of God? If it's just disappearing at the end of the month, where'd our money go? You might say, wait a second. I don't know if I'm a good steward or not of God's money. God gives it. We get to manage it. Because if you know where your money is going, let me, if you did, could you be less fearful about provision, about wealth, about your bills, about those things? If you knew where your money was going, could you actually possibly do more for the glory of God and for his kingdom, purposely and intentionally investing in whatever God is leading you to. Maybe the neighbor that's next door that could really use some help in some way. But you know what? You're strapped. You just can't. Do you know where your money's going enough to be a steward of it? You know, are you trusting the Lord with the first fruits? Basically, that's the first and best of a crop that you say, God, I'm going to trust you that you are going to provide even more uh, according, even when I can't see it, God, I'm going to trust you. The idea of tithing, of giving that first 10% to the Lord, just to say it's yours, all of it's yours, and I'm going to worship you with a portion of it. Because in that, our heart starts to change. Rather than wealth leading to pride, wealth starts to lead to following God on his mission, and then you'll start to be generous. And what's cool about generosity, Proverbs eleven twenty four points to it, one, meaning one person, freely gives, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want or lacking. So the more you give, the more your wealth grows is what it seems to be kind of pointing at. But the one that holds it back, he suffers lacking. And if you think about the most generous people in this world, they never seem to go without. How is that? It's the generosity of God. It's the provision of God, and, and their heart has been most likely changed by his generosity, and they become generous as well. Because in that, we start to see the gospel. Because in all of that, we start to see the, the, the heart of God and that this is the gospel, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know that the grace, uh, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. What was the move of the gospel? Is Jesus, who had everything, emptied it all so that we might be saved, and then we might, by his pouring it all out, we might have all of the blessings of the living God.
the heart of Jesus plays out and is shown in how we look at our finances and how we use our finances. Does the way you use and treat your money, does it reflect the gospel? The beautiful thing is when the grace of God changes us, it changes how we live. It changes what we do with our wealth and our money. It even changes the way we think about it because it's all from the hand of God and then all of a sudden we start to reflect God's priorities and God's grace to us becomes reflected to other people. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would um, take your word, that you would use it, that God, as we look at these passages and as we look at these traps and as we look at the blessing of all of this, God, challenge us in our thinking. God, I pray that we would experience the grace, uh, your grace to us, so that you might send us out and that we might respond, reflect uh, your grace with how we live with our money. God, use, use uh, all of this uh, to challenge us, and God, use us for your glory in the process. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.